Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get into the music. Today's show is brought to you in part by WCZR Code Zero Radio, your go-to for the best alternative and indie music. Find them at live.codezeroradio.com or download the free Code Zero Radio app. And now, let's get into the music. Well, hello everyone. This is Rob and welcome to the show. Tim Beekler is my guest today. He's a bassist with a stellar career, having held down the low end for guys like Paul Collins, Peter Case, and Dwight Twilley. He's also been in bands like The Nerves, Rebel Waltz, Grand Union, and Naughty Monkey. We're not only going to discuss his bass playing career today, but this guy has an 8-track tape collection that is, in a word, incredible. And with that, welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, Rob. Nice to talk with you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while since we actually chatted, and this is really a treat for me. So how are things with you? Things are really great. Um, it's been a very, very busy summer uh, playing festival shows and uh, got to go out to the West Coast for a little bit this summer to play Mosswood Festival. Um, so, yeah, life is good. Life is busy. And I can't complain. It's all good. Sounds good. Well, you know, the first thing I want to ask you here in this interview, is it true about you and Susanna Hoffs? um well i have a i've had an obsession with her for uh, 38 years three months and 14 i don't know since 1984 since i saw the video but uh a story behind meeting her was uh i was on tour with the beat and i had a daily facebook post about what happened on the day of the tour and stuff like that. But that night we were playing Los Angeles and that was my first time playing LA. So I jokingly put on my Facebook post, uh, dear Susanna Hoffs, if you're reading this, please come down to the show at, at blah, blah, blah. And you get in for free. And uh, little did I know that uh, a fan of ours who read that post is friends with the tour manager of the Bengals. So she didn't make it that night, but he did. So I got to be friends with John and, you know, we had a friendship through Facebook and all that over the years. And then I can't remember eight years ago, maybe there was a, a concert out in, in LA at the Fondo with the Bangles, the dream syndicate, the three o'clock and the rain parade. So it was all Paisley underground uh, reunion show. And these are four bands I really love and have never seen three of them. So uh, a few friends and I flew out there for this, just for the show. And uh, talking with John, John was able to get me to meet her uh, at the end of the show. So I had, you know, about two minute interaction with her while with her husband staring me down about ten feet away. So it wasn't <laughs> wasn't too exciting, but uh, I got to meet her finally, and it was awesome. So bucket list check. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. <laughs> now you've played bass for some great acts like the beat with paul collins and peter case and how did you get hooked up with guys like this it's a crazy story uh it's right place right time really um when i ran exclusive company record store i was the manager and one of my part-timers chris was working there and after that he went to school in madison graduated and went 
to Spanish, uh, Spanish degree and went to do translation in Madrid. And the Beat were one of my favorite all-time bands. I mean, I knew this first album inside out. I could play it, sing it, and just one of my favorite bands and albums of all time. So Paul just happened to be living in Madrid as well, and he was putting out a new record, and he had a record release party, and Chris just happened to go to this party. And he talked with Paul, and Paul just happened to need a drummer, and Chris is a fantastic drummer. And so Chris tried out for the beat in Madrid and got the job. So my dream gig has always been to be in the beat. And now one of my part-time employees is now drumming for the beat. It's like, oh, my God, you're living my dream, dude, you know? And I always joke to him. It's like, you know, if the bass player should ever happen to meet with an accident, you know who to call. I'll be there tomorrow. And crazy enough, in 2010, I was going to lunch, and I got a call from Chris saying, listen, we we need you in San Diego in eight days. We're, the tour's starting. The bass player is ill and not going to be able to do this tour. It's like, I'll be there. I hadn't spoken to my wife. I hadn't spoken to my boss. I hadn't spoken to my band. Uh, I was going. This was the door kicking open a little bit, and I was going through it. So I talked to my boss, and everyone was great about it. And uh, talked to Paul later in the night. And next thing you know, I'm you know getting squared away to go to san diego eight days later and start this tour that went up from san diego all the way up to seattle and, and uh absolutely amazing just a surreal and a, a dream come true really you know just to be standing next to paul playing these songs that i'd loved for so many years so that was the beginning of the whole thing you know just a part-time employee at the record store cracked that door open a little bit for me and i you know i went you know was lucky enough to get through it and went on from there well, record store work does pay off. <laughs> it does, yeah. It doesn't pay well, but boy, it sure had perks. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, you went on to tour with Peter Kay several times, did you not? Um, yeah, with playing with Paul. I played with Paul from 2010 to 2013. And, and in there had always been talk, you know, the Nerves are a legendary power pop band probably the most legendary of them all, I would say. And uh, getting those three together was going to be difficult, but people are always asking Peter and Paul, you know, you guys ever going to do the nerves again? And there was always talk about it, but, you know, no one ever really followed through. And then in 2012, it came together unexpectedly to me. I, I was coming back home from dropping off some DVDs at the video store and I got a call from Paul. It's like, are you sitting? It's like, yeah, I'm driving. I'm good. It's like the nerves are going to tour and you're, you know, you're coming to play bass because Jack doesn't want to do it. So we want you to play bass on, and it's like dream gig, absolute dream gig for me to play the nerves. So of course I took the job and it was going to go all over the U.S., start up in Seattle, work our way down the West Coast, down the South by Southwest where I think eight shows in three days, something like that. And work our way all the way up to the East Coast, just really all over the U.S. Um, so Peter's on board, you know, and we did rehearsals in Seattle. And uh, unfortunately, that tour, it started, the, the gigs were fantastic. The best set list ever, <laughs> in my opinion. But it, it broke down about maybe close to halfway through the tour. You know, just some of the same stuff that, 
broke up the nerves in the first place, I think, you know, reared its head again during this tour. It made it a little difficult when we weren't playing. So it got tougher and tougher. And then uh, Peter pulled the plug on, on the tour and you know, basically fired Paul from his own tour. And uh, that day, that was a sad day because Paul and I are tight. And uh, so we kind of left Paul with money to get back to New York. And Peter told me, you know, you got to get in the van because tour is over and you want to get back to Wisconsin, this is your way. So I got in the van, and then we talked further about it, and we decided there was another guitar player, Tim Schweiger from Milwaukee, who also played in the beat, was able to meet up with us in Minneapolis and finish part of the tour just as Peter Case band. So we ended up doing mostly Plim Souls and, and Nerve songs and not doing the beat songs. So uh, it was a weird time because I felt like I was betraying Paul a little bit, you know, he, but uh, I felt I needed to go on with that tour and keep doing it. And then, you know, I went on with Peter to play Australia, do some incredible shows with Blue Easter Cult and the Buzzcocks, Flaming Groovies. Um, those are some of the other bands on that tour. So, yeah, it was unbelievable to, to play music with both these guys. They're both great talents, and uh, I think they're both better off doing their own thing these days, you know. Um, but it, it sure was a thrill to to play those songs, of, some of my favorite songs of all time. And so, dream come true, really. Now, your career is at, what, 35-plus years? I started writing songs when I was 12, but I started playing bass. I was a singer in a band, um, and then I kind of got kicked out of the band because there were two singers, and the other singer played guitar, so they didn't really need me. So I took a step back and said, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to have a chance in this industry is to go learn an instrument. So I went and rented a bass and an amp and basically learned by playing along with records. I never took any lessons. I just put on records and started playing R.E.M., The Birds, uh, The Smiths, um, just anything, you know, just trying different styles and all that. And, you know, it was quite enjoyable doing it that way. So, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, it's got to be 35, 40 years now. Wow. And that's, I mean, really, that's quite an accomplishment, you know. I guess, what's the secret for staying in the game for so long and keeping it all at the high level that you do? It's keeping an open mind to the type of music. You know, I I, I don't mind playing any type of music. Um, it, I find it challenging. I used to do open mics and uh, used to do live band karaoke stuff where you're kind of on your toes playing all the time. And that goes along with singing, too. You know, and I found it really challenging and really good for helping my, my chops and vocal chops and, and keeping them up. You know, so um, I just like the challenge of different bands and you know i've been really lucky to fall into one thing after another thing ended especially the cover band situation that i started doing in uh 2010 i think it was with naughty monkey right after they broke up half empty came along and they needed someone and so i got that gig and half empty broke up and grand union just happened to need someone so it's all worked out pretty nice for me uh, as far as the cover band thing and yeah, I'm just not afraid to dig into any style of music. And, you know, I, working at the record store, you know, I was pretty open-minded to music before I even worked there. But working there and, and meeting people, customers, and you know, employees that had different tastes than myself, it really gave me a chance to hear a lot of different music over the years. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much into any style of music, so it never bothers me. 
Tired of streaming sites that just seem cold and impersonal? Add a live human to your routine and join me every Monday and Thursday night at 7 p.m. Central as I introduce the latest submissions added to the WCZR rotation. I'll give you backgrounds, influences, and noteworthy information to each new artist during my show Zip Code Zero on WCZR, CodeZeroRadio.com, or you can download our feature-packed app, Zip Code Zero, on WCZR, Code Zero Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of local bands, uh, we're going to listen to a track right now from an album that you cut in 1990 with the band Rebel Waltz. And from Rubber Walls, this is Umbrella. Yeah. 
All right, Tim, what can you tell us about your Rebel Waltz days? Rebel Waltz started after I graduated high school. Most of my friends, including the mus- musician friends I had, all went to college and I stayed behind. I just kind of wanted a year off from school. So I kind of had a lot of alone time, which was good because it gave me a lot of time to write songs and all that. So I, I had a bunch of songs written. And at the same time, my brother was in a cover band. And my brother asked me if I had any band name suggestions. And I remembered at that time, there were a couple of like punk bands who took their names from song titles of other bands. So I went through my record collection and for some reason, Rebel Waltz from the Clash uh, Sandinista album stuck out to me. I don't know why, but it did. And I gave him that one and he didn't like it. So I kept it for myself to use as a, you know, a name for songwriting. I always kind of kept that for a couple of years. And then in 1985, Jeff DeGuy, who I've known since kindergarten, I was living in Oshkosh and we got together one snowy afternoon and started playing some of my songs. And he eventually worked into a full-fledged band with a, a guy I knew from college and another person. And we just got it going and uh, it just really built up steam quickly, um, went through a few different members and then we finally got a solid lineup, started putting out a, a lot of stuff, whether it be cassette or seven inch. Uh, Rubber Walls did very, very well for us. That was probably our most well-known release, I would say. And that lasted through, I would say, 95, 96. We did a few reunion shows in between and, you know, we're all still good friends and we're all doing our thing. But it was an incredible run of music with three really, well, four with Scott, um, really great musicians and friends. And I think we pumped out a lot of really great music that I think still holds up pretty well after all these years. Yeah, just listening to Umbrella, I mean, it was a trip. And what you guys did was really solid. It was harder back then. You know, these days, you know, you've got the a lot of original music around here, a lot of mild music, and it's all fantastic. And, and it wasn't always that way. It, you know, for original bands, especially in Appleton and Oshkosh, it was not easy to get gigs. And, you know, it really had to scratch and claw, you know, whether it be radio or whether it be clubs, you know. You know, there are not just us, but a lot of bands in this area just trying to get people open, more open-minded to having original music and stuff like that. And I, I like to think we're kind of got it going a little bit in this area. So, Right, laid some groundwork. Now, you and I met around 2012 when we both worked at the same graphics company. And you yourself are quite a designer and pretty darn creative. So how have you combined your design and your music careers? over the years i've done mostly i worked for the rebel alt stuff and uh, i had a couple solo releases that i did and i i've done artwork for friends of mine mark hillstrom and I, a couple bands uh, that i idolized from the valley i got to do fun with adams and twisting egyptians there are re-releases and retrospectives so uh, it's been fun to work in a little bit of graphic work into the scene as well you know, whenever someone would ask me, I, you know, just give me a case of beer and a couple of copies and we're good, you know. So I don't get as much as I used to, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of cool to have the release come out and have your artwork on there. Probably the biggest one I, I had was uh, when I toured the West Coast with The Beat the first time. I got to be 
good friends and we stayed at the house of uh, Deborah Ayal, who's the singer of Romeo Void. And uh, she had a solo album coming out and she kind of handed everything over to me and we uh, worked through it together. So that I'm pretty proud of that one, getting to do that one for her. That was uh, an independent label. And so it's fun getting the de design work in as well. I don't do it quite as much anymore, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> sure. Now, kind of going back to talking about touring here and and then also with your career, you've got a full-time job. How do you manage to get out on the road and hold down that job? We'll be right back after this short break. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. I want to give full credit to OEC Graphics, who I've been with for 19 and a half years. Um, they've been very flexible with me and bent over backwards whenever I've requested to go out on the road. And the best example of that, I would say, was 2012, where I had to play in Japan with the Paul Collins beat. And after that, come back into the West Coast to do a six-week tour. Normally, with, with the beat, we'd play two weeks and then be back home. And that was never a problem. Usually, I build up enough vacation time to pull off most of that. But this was almost seven weeks. So I'm going into my boss like, uh, this is going to be, <laughs> this one's long. So I'm going to run past you. And I did. And they said, well, Tim, we're, we're going to have to fire you on paper, but keep all the stuff at your desk. Here's how you work around Cobra, you know, coverage for your family for this time and leave your stuff on your desk and we'll give you full tenure and all that when you come back. And that was, couldn't believe it. And it's, you know, I really enjoy working there and I, I enjoy like the flexibility they give me. They're just so great to me. So I can't thank them enough for, you know, some bosses wouldn't do that. They haven't. I'm so thankful. That's really cool that they give you that flexibility and allow you to live the dream, really. That, that's exactly what I wanted to say. I mean, they, they know what it means to me. And, you know, you go in Japan, you go in Australia, you Canada, whatever, or touring, you're just going all over. It's just, uh, you, you are living the dream. It's, you know, I've been thinking about it since I was a kid. And, and they all sense that, and, you know, they don't stand in my way and they, you know, they make it work. And, and also the other, other employees step up and cover me being gone on some accounts. And I'm just so thankful to them for the opportunities that they've let me pursue. Wow. Good people. Yeah. Now, I want to revisit one of the artists that we mentioned before, which is Dwight Twilley. Now, over the years, he's received some pretty serious accolades from the music press. How did you come to meet Dwight and eventually play bass for him? 
Uh, yeah, Dwight is a founding father of power pop, in my opinion. You know, he had a hit with I'm on Fire back in, I believe, 74. And, you know, really was a few years ahead of the curve on, on power pop music, along with like the Raspberries and Badfinger, Big Star. Well, it, what first happened was when I played Australia with Peter Case, um, there was a gentleman there doing a Dwight Twilley tribute CD and we spoke and he asked if I was interested in contributing to it so I, I did and I recorded You Were So Warm and uh, crazy enough Dwight was coming to Waterfest in Oshkosh that summer I, I believe it just happened 10 years ago I memory just came up on Facebook uh, with the tubes and it's like oh my god I can give Dwight and his wife Jan who's his producer a copy of this version of his song just give him a copy and uh, put my number on it just random things like just thought he might like having a copy of it and uh once again on lunch at OEC <laughs> it seems to be a theme here all of a sudden I get a call and it's from Jan Twilly and told me how much she and Dwight liked it and then she proceeded to spend the next 20 minutes I still have the voicemail <laughs> <laughs> that she followed up with telling me that it sounds really great, but here's what you got to do. You want to get the Twilly sound, you know, you got to do, she's telling me the little breakdowns of what you need to do on the board to get it to sound like the Twilly sound. So I want you to go back in the studio and do this and, and fix it, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did. And uh, my brother-in-law had a studio in the basement at his house where I cut it and we went back in and, and did everything they asked, and I sent it back, and they loved it. And the CD came out. And so they always kept in touch. And then one day, I got the same guy was putting out a cheap trick tribute in Australia. And um, so I was going to the studio to record that at my brother-in-law's basement. And all of a sudden, I get a call from Jan Twilly. See, Dwight's doing vocals tonight. He's doing vocals tonight. He needs a bass player. He needs Beekler playing bass. It's the last song on the album. He needs Beekler playing bass. I need it by five o'clock because Dwight's doing vocals tonight. Okay. <laughs> so, my jaw, after I picked my jaw up from the floor, it's like I'm about to play bass for Dwight Twilley. Oh my God. So all the musicians I had there to play the cheap tricks, like, guys, the plans have changed here. I'm sorry, but. So they sent me the track and I laid down the bass part. And the first time I sent it back to him, it's like, yeah, you know, it's probably not busy enough. You know, add a little bit more to it. And the second one I did, I kind of overcompensated, I think, because I did that one and sent it to them. And then I went to go get gas at the gas station and got a call from Jan. I'm like pumping gas and I pick up the phone and say, hey, Jan, it's like, are you on cocaine or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it must have been a pretty busy part. <laughs> so so she, she ends up putting Dwight on the phone and say, hey, hey, Dwight, how's it going, man? And like Dwight's just kind of, you know, mouthing me what he wants for a bass part, which, you know, wasn't much more than a, like, blues run stuff, but, you know, a little busy. But, you know, so I, I went back and did it a third time, and uh, we finally got it maybe about, seven eight o'clock at night so Dwight was still able to do his vocals in the evening and we had it all set so that song got on and then they they ended up calling back and asking me to do bass for another song on the album so I got two songs on that always album 
and then that those are both going to be coming out. He's got a best of coming out, I think, next year, best of the Toast years, and both those songs are going to make it on there as well. So pretty proud of that. Good people. It's nice to be friends with Dwight and Jan. They're, they're great people. Right. Well, we're going to listen to one of those songs right now. This is from Dwight Twilley's Always album, and this is called Tomorrow. Well, Tim, we're getting close to winding this up, but there's one last subject that I want to touch on with you, and that's your eight-track tape collection. You don't just collect them. You listen to these things regularly. What's the allure for you? 
Um, I think it goes back, well, I know it goes back to my childhood because my dad had an 8-track player in his car and we always used it. And I, I had one in my in my mom's house and um, living in Kimberly, Wisconsin in the 70s, you didn't have a whole lot of outlets for music other than the radio or, you know, hoping mom does a shopping trip to Appleton, you know, the big city. But the Kimberly Pharmacy had a little eight-track kiosk, you know, the spinner thing where you could, like, like truck stops and stuff. You just grab the eight tracks, and, so I would buy eight tracks out of there. So it became a sentimental thing. I'm trying to remember the year, maybe 2010, maybe I I was at a place called Anderson Resale in Manasha, which is no longer there. I walked in and and they were playing this old country music on an eight-track player, and it just hit me. It's like this is this is wonderful. I ended up buying that box set and buying that player, and I don't know. It just became an obsession with me. I, and I I understand it's quirky. I understand the sound quality. I understand that it cuts in the middle of songs. I I don't know. I don't get it either. But uh, <laughs> so I just started collecting, and and then I got the harebrained idea that well, you know what? I, I love punk rock music. And the end of eight tracks were coming right around the time of punk rocks and new waves, so and power pop. So there were releases out there by the Pistols and the Clash and Ramones and all those bands on eight track. And I thought well, it'd be a fun thing to try to track these down and make a little collection out of it. And it just ended up becoming an obsession. And the collection is uh, quite large now. And uh, I'm pretty proud of it. You know, I I, I do have a, a player that plays like it spins and does tw- you can put twelve tapes in at a time. I don't. It's just a goofy hobby of mine that just, frankly, has gotten out of control. <laughs> but I, I enjoy it. You know, it's I like I can fix them. You know, I I don't know. I I don't get it. But the sound quality is a little, little goofier, a little mud, a lot muddier. But I don't know. It, I've been collecting CDs and albums for so long. I just thought it would be a, a fun angle to start collecting. And, you know, it got to be a whole lot larger than I ever would have anticipated as I started finding stuff. I, you know, I have stuff by Twilly and by Peter Case on the 8-track, even, you know, from back in the day. So kind of cool. Right. Well, I got to say, there is something to be said for listening to something that maybe does have that quirky sound quality or something that's underproduced, you know, whereas compared to most of today's music, where it just seems to be so clean that it's lifeless. I have told that to people, that very thing, that there are, there's an album by Phil Seymour, who used to be in a band with Dwight Twilley, and his first one came out on 8-track. And I would prefer to listen to it on a track over CD, over LP. It just has that sound to it that mixes so well with with a track. It I don't, I can't explain it, and people don't believe me. But uh, I'm I'm still I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Uh, before we go, do you have anything going on with gigging? Any upcoming shows where listeners can catch you at? In September, Fountain Fest in Oshkosh on Friday the 8th. Uh, the Wharf in Manitowoc on the 16th. And a wedding, which you're all invited to, at Maloney's in Kakana on the 23rd. We'll be there. 
So, so long as Dress the, accordingly. So long as the food is free. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if it's not, we'll find a way. There you go. There you go. Tim, Musicians thank you. never miss a meal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And is there any way folks can uh, find and contact you online? Uh, the best way would be through my Facebook page of just Tim Beekler. Um, Grand Union has their own page. Rebel Waltz has their own page. Um, but most of the stuff I do regarding like the touring and recording and stuff like that is mainly through my Facebook page. I don't have a website at all. So your best bet is to go there, friend me there if you're not friends already, and uh, I'll keep you posted on anything that's going on. Um, life is busy. Life is good. I, I love it. You know, getting to be an old man, but I'm, I'm not ready to slow down anytime soon. Sounds good, Tim. Well, thanks for being our guest today and for taking the time just to talk with us. All the best to you. Thanks a lot, Rob. And once again, great to talk with you. Hopefully we can catch up sometime soon. I appreciate it. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Let's do this again down the road. Sounds good. Hopefully I have some new stuff for you. You bet, Tim. My guest today has been bassist Tim Beekler. Join me next time when my guests will be the Gentleman Grifters, an acoustic duo who combine bluegrass with other stylings to create some marvelous Americana. So long for now, and we'll see you next time we get Into the Music. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Into the Music. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and odyssey.com. Drop us a line on our socials or email us at intothemusic at newprojectx.com. This show is copyright 2023 Project X Productions. Join us next time we get into the music. God bless and take care, everybody.